Concord Matters is made possible in part by a generous gift from Set Apart to Serve, the church work recruitment initiative of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Many church workers always knew they wanted to serve in Christ's church, but many pastors, teachers, and other full-time church workers left careers to pursue this life of service. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about a second career as a church worker, the Set Apart to Serve team wants to help. Visit kfuo.org slash sas. That's kfuo.org slash sas. We have a simple goal here on Concord Matters, to seek unity in our confession of the Christian faith through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it well from Romans chapter 15, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We seek this harmony by the Holy Spirit through the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. Because we do not believe that the Book of Concord is another Bible, but we believe, teach, and confess that these writings are in accord with God's Holy Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Today we get to Article 20. Last week, we talked about the cause of sin, which just reminds us of, well, we have no hope without Christ. And today, we talk about good works. works. It's something we speak about. Do Lutherans forbid good works? That was kind of the rumor during the time of the the Book of Concord. Do Lutherans make light of good works? Something that I sometimes have heard even in our world today. But maybe the question should restart as simple as this. What is a good work? So today we're going to cover all of those things, so open up your Book of Concord and open up your Bible, and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the Augsburg Confession, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome back Pastor David Jewell of St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Arlington, Wisconsin. Pastor Jewell, welcome back to Concord Thank Matters. you very much, Brady. It's good to be with you once again. So, Pastor, as we are in good works, I think it's great. We have a longer article here this morning that I want to start digging into it because all of our guests are, it's a good question for us to always ask. When we look at every day, what is a good work? Are we doing good works? Um, and what do good works do? So, Pastor, I, I'm ready to get right into Let it. Let us are you? sally forth. <laughs> all right, very good. We are on page 41 of the Book of Concord, the reader's edition of the Lutheran Confessions, Concordia, excuse me, the Lutheran Confessions, the Book of Concord, page 41, article 20 of the Augsburg Confession. And we're going to start with a note and just kind of get our, uh, I guess you say, an appetizer. And if I was in Wisconsin right now, it'd be cheese curds. Mm. This is kind of the cheese curd version <laughs> of good works. How about, what do you think I'm of that? I'm all in for cheese. I'm all in, so let's start confessing on page 41. This is another key article in the Augsburg Confession. Article 20 offers more details about faith and works than we previously written. Lutherans insist on the biblical truth that our good works do not save us, so they are sometimes accused of opposing good works. The article sets forth the Bible's clear teaching that good works are the fruit of faith, 
not the cause of our salvation. The Lutheran hymn, Salvation Unto Us Has Come, offers a short, powerful summary of these essential gospel truths. Faith clings to Jesus' cross alone and rests in him unceasing, and by its fruit and true faith is known with love and hope increasing. For faith alone can justify, work, serve our neighbor, and supply the proof that faith is living. Rome continues to insist that people are saved by God's grace, not through faith alone. This teaching dangerously encourages people to believe that they are even that they're able, even in some small way, to contribute toward their salvation. This diverts their focus from Christ and his merits to their own works. It also leads us to despair, doubt, and uncertainty when people come to realize the enormity of their sin and wonder if, in fact, they have done, quote-unquote, enough to merit or deserve God's favor. After setting forth the proper biblical distinction between faith and good works, the Augsburg Confession asserts very clearly that our good works are necessary not to merit grace, but because this is God's will for our lives. God's gift of saving faith enables us to do good works. Now, Pastor, we've heard it said that this is not only the article of good works, but also it should be correctly stated as faith and good works. How do you want to start us off as we dig into this very important article? It's very important that we don't put the cart before the horse. So, in the German rending of the Augsburg Confession, they call this article On Faith and Good Works, and they put the right word first. They put the horse in front of the cart. It's faith. This is a distinction that we're working here between faith and good works. Does faith save us? Faith alone save us? Or do good works save us? Or do we not even have to worry about faith and say, well, my good works save me? Or do we just say, by faith alone we are saved, so I'm not sweating good works. I don't have to do good works. I have faith, or my faith is my good work. So you can see this can go in many different directions, and you can see how confusing this can be for a reader of the Book of Concord, especially if you're a a recent convert to what it means to be Lutheran, and you're probably confused on faith and good works. And so this article, which is rather lengthy compared to the rest of the Augsburg Confession, will unpack for us not only the importance of faith, which comes first, and faith always has an object, Jesus Christ, and then the good works that flow from our believing that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. Well, and that's a good context for us to begin, because we might think that this is not an issue anymore, that, okay, we figured out good works, we're good to go. I don't do good works to save me. And so therefore, I'm good. But then it easily leads to other um, misunderstandings of what good works are. So I think it's good for us just to dig in. You ready to dig in? Let's go. All right, page 42. We are beginning on the beginning of this confession of Article 20 and beginning with the words, Our teachers. Our teachers are falsely accused of forbidding good works. Their published writings on the Ten Commandments and other similar writings bear witness that they have usefully taught about all estates and duties of life. They have taught well what is pleasing to God in every station and vocation in life. Before now, preachers taught very little about these things. They encourage only childish and needless works, such as particular holy days, particular fasts, brotherhoods, 
pilgrimages, services in honor of the saints, and the use of rosaries, monasticism, and such things. Since our adversaries have been admonished about these things, they are now unlearning them. They do not preach these unhelpful works as much as they used to. In the past, there was only a stunning silence about faith, but now they're beginning to mention it. They do not teach that we are justified only by works. They join faith and works together and say that we are justified by faith and works. This teaching is more tolerable than the former one. It can offer more consolation than their old teaching. Their doctrine, the doctrine about faith, which ought to be the chief doctrine of the church, has remained unknown for so long. Everyone has to admit that there was a deepest silence in their sermons concerning the righteousness of faith. They only taught about works in the churches. This is why our teachers teach the churches about faith in this way. So, Pastor, it starts like you said, the horse before the the, the horse before the cart, and trying to make sure we're focused on the main thing. And what is that main thing as we look at good works? Faith in Jesus Christ comes first. And so uh, the adversary said that, well, the Lutherans have, ad- have have put faith so far in front that now they're not talking about good works. And on the other hand, the Lutherans have said for so long to the adversaries, you guys have talked so much about good works that you've basically made the performance of good works into or in place of faith. The more I do these things, they list here uh, things like rosaries and monasticism and other things, particular fasts, particular holy days, pilgrimages, services in honor of the saints. These are the things that were preached in churches in the generation of and the generations before the drafting of the Augsburg Confession. And so now uh, the Lutherans have been talking more about faith and less about what they see as, as good works, and, and these are good works that are performed in order to earn your salvation, so that now the adversaries are like, well, you guys talk so much about faith that we never hear anything about good works. And so now the adversaries in return are like, maybe we should start talking about faith. So then they decided to put faith and good works together and said, okay, yeah, faith in Jesus Christ saves now you must also do these things as well, and you too will be saved. It almost reminds me, Brady, a little bit of the situation that St. Paul faced when he wrote to the churches in Galatia, in the fact that uh, there were those who had come in there and had started preaching, yes, Jesus Christ has died for your sins. Yes, he has risen from the grave. Yes, he has ascended and sent his Holy Spirit into the world, and now we have this beautiful good news. Oh, and you got to be circumcised to her. It means nothing. So we already see as early as like a, not even a generation after the death and resurrection of Jesus that this is being already introduced into Christianity. And some 1,500 years later, they're still struggling with this. So what is it? Is it uh, faith alone in Christ? And we're not going to talk so much about good works. Is it all good works and not so much faith? Or do we go with this sort of third thing in the middle? Yes, faith and good works together. And all that does is wreak havoc in the church. So it's incumbent upon our Lutheran friends here in Article 20 to explain exactly what faith is and what good works are and the relationship 
between those two things. And that's how we get started here. Well, it does begin very clearly about this is better than it was, Mm -hmm. but we're still not where we need to be. Oh, it's certainly not, yeah. And this is, you know, (laughs) and this is a good thing for theology is that um, just because it's better doesn't mean it's right. And it's a good reminder for us as we especially look at good works in light of Jesus, because um, whenever you are looking at other uh, faiths, other religions especially, but other even Christian denominations, the heart and soul of who we are as, as Lutherans, um, and the heart and soul of what we would say Scripture is, especially as you mentioned in Galatians, is Article 4, that we are saved only on account of Christ, not by works uh, that we do, but by He has made the satisfaction for our sins on account of Christ. And so it's a good reminder for us that at the end of the day, that's something that we will never sacrifice, something that begins and ends with everything, because it might look cooler. Um, the services might be more exciting, but at the end of the day, does it come down to this very important doctrine that we will emphasize again today? So let's continue on page 42, uh, on number nine, where we start digging in even a little further into this. So once again, um, it's a good start. Now, how do we make sure we're doing it completely correctly according to Scripture? First, they says, they teach that our works cannot reconcile God to us or merit forgiveness of sins, grace, and justification. We obtain reconciliation only by faith when we believe that we are received into favor for Christ's sake. He alone has been set forth as a mediator and atoning sacrifice, which we read from 1 Timothy chapter 2. In order that the Father may be reconciled through him, therefore whoever believes that he merits grace by works despises the merits and grace of Christ. In so doing, he is seeking a way to God without Christ, by human strength, although Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. From John chapter 14, verse 6. This doctrine about faith is presented everywhere by Paul. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, Ephesians 2.8. If anyone wants to be tricky and say that we have invented a new interpretation of Paul, this entire matter is supported by the testimony of the fathers. Augustine defends grace and righteousness of faith in many volumes against the merit, merits of works. Ambrose in his book, The Calling of the Gentiles, and elsewhere, teaches the same thing. In The Calling of the Gentiles, he says, Redemption by Christ's blood would be worth very little, and God's mercy would not surpass man's work if justification, which is accomplished through grace, were due to prior merits. So justification would not be the free gift from a donor, but the reward due the laborer. So we are, we're brought right back to Paul and to simple passages that we know very clearly and a quote from the early church fathers. How do you want to continue? Yeah, this is great because uh, the first thing that we should do when we deal with any teaching of Holy Scripture is start by going to Holy Scripture. And let's see what the Bible has to say about this. It's the best pastoral advice that's ever been given to me. My father-in-law is a retired pastor, and occasionally I will go to him and I'll I'll have a problem or have an issue in in the congregation, or maybe it's something in my, my personal walk with my Lord. And he always gives me the best advice, which is, well, what does God's word have to say about that? And of course, that leads me back into the scriptures, and we go look to see exactly what this says. So what does the scriptures have to say about faith? And the, the center point of this thing 
is Ephesians chapter 2, which we're going to hear from a little bit later in our discussion when we get to kind of the part on good works. In fact, it's just a couple verses right down the road. The very familiar phrase, maybe it's even your confirmation verse. Uh, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is reflecting us away from our good works, earning some sort of salvation, or even being a part of some sort of fractional work with God. This is a great thing about the Christian faith, and Lutherans do a wonderful job in explaining this. In Christ... There is no fractions. We're only dealing with whole numbers here. And if you are a junior high school student and the bane of your existence is learning fractions, you begin to stand up and sing the common doxology whenever you hear this in church, that the only place you have to deal with it is in school. And in your daily life, when you're trying to figure out what 20% off something is in a sale at a store, now you're dealing with the fact that uh, by grace you are saved through faith. And it is this simple trust in our Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that he loves you, even though you don't deserve it, he still loves you anyway, just as you are, not as you want to be, this is how you are saved this simple trust. It's not your work. It's the work of God. The thing about us is we don't stand still long enough so that God can work on us. So his word gets us to stand still so that he may work on us. And then there's the beautiful quote, uh, Ambrose more than likely didn't write this. It's thought that uh, another guy named Pseudo Ambrose, some scholars even think Prosper of Aquitaine, may have written this wonderful quote, because if it has to do with anything that you and I do for our salvation, you're cheating the blood of Christ. You're cheating redemption. You're cheating the whole work of Christ. Jesus instead becomes the dynamo that powers you doing something to help God out, whether it's 10% or 90% or whatever the percentage. Again, no fractions in salvation. God deals with whole numbers, all or nothing. And why, you know, that's important for us to remember because almost everything in life is percentages. Yes. 90% of people um, believe this, or 90% of people uh, like have a satisfaction over their experience at the hotel that they just stayed in. Um, you know, 85% this, 10% this, you know, 55% want to vote for this individual. I mean, we're always going by percentages. And to me, as I'm hearing you speak, and also as we read what it says, the clarity in Scripture about exactly how salvation is, it's 100, if we were to look at percentages, would be as simple as this, 100% salvation in Christ alone, something like that. Do you have any other good percentages that would really encompass the understanding of of Christ and salvation and the forgiveness. Zero percent, except to say 100% from Holy Scripture. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a reminder for you, our guests, if you have any other percentages to give to us, maybe you're a math major, maybe you're just one that has fun with these kind of things, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org.
I'm ready to keep moving forward. As I said, it's almost, it peels back and it almost, it's like a tapestry of understanding of the fullness of faith and good work. So pastor, anything else you want to highlight before we move on to uh, number four? Not at all. Keep reading. All right. So we are on page 43 now of the Augsburg Confession, uh, number 15 towards the top of the page, page 43. Spiritually inexperienced people despise this teaching. However, God-fearing and anxious consciences find by experience that it brings the greatest consolation. Consciences cannot be set at rest through the work through works, my only, but only by faith when they take the sure ground that for Christ's sake they have a gracious God. As Paul teaches, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Romans five verse one. This whole doctrine must be related to the conflict of the terrified conscience. It cannot be understood apart from the conflict. Therefore, inexperienced and irreverent people have poor judgment in this matter because they dream that Christian righteousness is nothing but civil and philosophical righteousness. Until now, consciences were plagued with the doctrine of works. They did not hear consolation from the gospel. Some people were driven by conscience into the desert and into monasteries hoping to merit grace by a monastic life. Some people came up with other works to merit grace and to make satisfaction for sins. That is why the need was so great for teaching and renewing the doctrine of faith in Christ so that anxious consciences would not be without consolation, but would know that grace, forgiveness of sins, and justification are received by faith in Christ. So I want to just highlight one reality as we continue to read. The word conscience is used numerous times in that section alone. And so when, when we ever hear about the confessors, Melanchthon in this case, and the Concordians, they are obsessed with people's consciences. Is their conscience clear before God? Do they think they have a right relationship with God on account of Christ? Or as it says, are they dreaming that righteousness is something that they can achieve? which is something that sounds really good, but the end product does never ends with a, quote, clear conscience. So I want to highlight that and continue to highlight that throughout our time. Pastor, where do you want to go? Not only do the authors of the Confession and the Confessors of the 16th century uh, obsess over this, St. Paul obsesses over this. He has at least four (laughs) avowals of a good conscience in his epistles. And you can go uh, hunting for those as you read God's word and to see that that Paul is, in his conscience, he's clear and he's cool because Christ is for him. And the anxious conscience and the fact that uh, it clings to Jesus and to his cross alone by faith, and it it talks about uh, the inexperienced person is going to poo-poo this. And the reason they're going to poo-poo this is because they haven't gone through the cross and the crosses of, of our daily life. Um, of course, if, if you're inexperienced in suffering in, the, in, in, in your life, you're, you're going to say, well, of course, it's all going to fall back on good works and it's not about faith because Uh, ultimately the answer is going to be, is there enough? Um, The word enough for a Christian ought to be paused enough for us to stop and think about it. Uh, Whenever I teach 
uh, or preach and this business of the anxious conscience come up or, or anything that comes up that deals with salvation, I ask people simply, is the word enough a law word or a gospel word? And after a few seconds of reflection, 99%, there's your percentage for you, 99% say <laughs> that's a law word. And the answer is correct. That's a law word. Because if you're going to look at your uh, works, anything that you do, whether it's, uh, I, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer seven times today because seven is a holy number and God loves holy numbers and I want to make sure God is pleased with my prayer. Uh, if I, or I'm going to abstain from food today because I feel like God wants me to abstain from food today, otherwise uh, I might get too haughty in my uh, walk with him. Uh, if you start looking to that, because all of these things that I just mentioned, they're wonderful things in and of themselves, but when you separate it from faith and your faith becomes, I got to do these things enough to make God happy, then the conscience becomes anxious because enough is never enough. Seven is going to become 14, 14 is going to become 28, and the number will just continue to pile up. And you'll forget about the fact that Jesus has taken care of all of these things and has forgiven your sins and has given you a good conscience. It's clear and cool with St. Paul because our Lord's taken care of it all. So why are you so concerned about making our Heavenly Father happy when he is happy with you in Jesus. So, um, yeah, the anxious conscience is always seeking amelioration. And the amelioration is believing that Jesus' blood and righteousness covers every last one of my sins. Well, we're going to want to hear more about the clear, is clear and cool with St. Paul. So I, I, I want to hear more about that because Enough is never enough unless Christ is enough. So let's take our break. We are studying Article 20 of the Augsburg Confession with Pastor David Jewell, and we'll be right back. Military veteran, engineer, entrepreneur. These are just some of the former careers held by current LCMS pastors. Careers that they left behind to serve congregations in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. No matter the background, our Lord calls men who have a passion for the word and a love for serving Christ to be pastors. A sacred, joyful, and essential vocation. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about becoming a pastor, visit weareyourseminaries.org and put your experience and skills to new use in pastoral ministry. Visit weareyourseminaries.org seminaries.org. Welcome back. We are studying the truth of God's Word with good works as confessed and from the Augsburg Confession with Pastor David Jewell of St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Arlington, Wisconsin. Pastor, you said it very well. If we were to use a percentage, once again, we're going after that, is, okay, enough is never enough. Unless Christ is enough, 100% of the time, or something like that. Once again, it's, it's something where we're able to do, it's kind of like when you do mathematics according to God, which is, you know, 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 1, when reference to the Trinity. Or you talk about Jesus being God and man. I saw once where it was 
uh, God plus 100% man equals 100% Jesus. You know, uh, bad math, but good theology. Mm -hmm. So with this, it literally is 100%. Christ is enough is the tagline I'm thinking in my mind. Pastor, do you have any other taglines before we start plowing through? Here's another equation for you, and this nails grace. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And we hear that in the uh, time-treasured hymn, Rock of Ages, Clef for Me. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. We bring nothing to the Lord except our sin and our death. And what does he give us? Well, he gives us forgiveness and he gives us life. Uh, Luther calls this the blessed exchange. And it's a wonderful topic for another day. But we have so much more to talk about, Brady. Let's hear some more. Let's keep going. Uh, if more math comes, we will yeah. keep doing it. Here we go. Number number 23 on page 43, we continue as we hear more of God's grace. People are also warned that the term faith does not simply mean a knowledge of history, such as the ungodly and devil have from James chapter 2. Whether it means a faith that believes not merely the history, but also the effect of the history. In other words, it believes this article, the forgiveness of sins. We have grace, righteousness, and forgiveness of sins through Christ. The person who knows that he has a Father who is gracious to him through Christ truly knows God, John chapter 14, verse 7. He also knows that God cares for him, 1 Peter 5. And he calls upon God, Romans 10, 13. In a word, he is not without God, as are the heathen. For devils and ungodly are not able to believe this article, the forgiveness of sins. Hence, they hate God as an enemy, Romans 8, and they do not call him, Romans 3, and expect no good from him. Augustine also warns his readers about the word faith and teaches that the term is used in the scriptures, not for the knowledge that is in the ungodly, but for the confidence that consoles and encourages the terrified mind. Pastor, right here, there's a word that keeps being brought up, the forgiveness of sins. Tell us about faith and the forgiveness of sins. Faith always has an object, and the object is Christ. And Christ's object in becoming man is to achieve for us what is impossible, and that is the forgiveness of sins. And I think it's very important, too, that we consider the word faith in alongside with knowledge. Um a long time ago, not on a galaxy far, far away, but another place in the United States far, far away, I was involved uh, with a group of other Lutherans, and we love to do trivia nights. Uh, I haven't seen a trivia night happen in a while, but maybe like 15, 17 years ago, they were a very popular way to raise money. Uh, churches did them and other organizations did them. And so there was a group of uh, two or three pastors from my area, and there was a couple of Lutheran school teachers that were involved in this, and a couple of other people. Usually had a team of eight. And we hoped that there would be at least one section, because usually you have like 10 sections in a trivia contest, and they have, uh, you know, like anywhere from six to 10 questions that they'll ask in these different sections. And the hope was, well, if, if it's at a church, we're going to have something on the Bible and we're going to sweep the Bible category and that's going to lead us to victory in this thing. 
it's good to know information about the Bible. But remember, the devil knows information about the Bible. There are people who know nothing and care nothing about salvation that probably know more about the Bible than some Christians do. So we have to remember that trivia night contests does not equal saving faith. That's knowledge. And it's good to have knowledge, but simply knowing that there's something in the Bible that talks about something is different than knowing it's in the Bible and knowing that those words are written that I may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, I may have life in his name. So let's not confuse head knowledge, facts, trivia, with the knowledge that implants in me that the word puts there, the word that is proclaimed puts there, and that saves me. It reminds me of the hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. No merit of my own I claim, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Which reminds us quite often that uh, how often is it that we equate a strong faith with knowledge of the scriptures? Where, I mean, the confessions just never talk anywhere near that, which is one of the reasons why it's just so refreshing. Partly because I'm terrible at Bible trivia. <laughs> like, I'm just like... I can't bring it out. It's just, it's just awful. Everyone always is like, oh, good, pastor's with me. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I, your hope is not built on me whatsoever. Um, but here, it, it says so beautifully. I love how it is in, in number 23. Um, it speaks, and probably like it so much because I'm terrible at Bible trivia. But in other words, it believes in this article, the forgiveness of sins. We have grace, righteousness, and forgiveness of sins through Christ. That the language is so crystal clear and, and it's so, it's just beautiful for us to consider this. We haven't even spoken about what is a good work to this point. It's been only pointing us back to the good work of Christ that he's done for us. Pastor, uh, what else do you have? Um, here's a Bible trivia question that might help you out, Brady. Brady. <laughs> Who is buried in Enoch's tomb? <laughs> I'll let you, wherever you are listening today, figure that one out. But we laugh because yeah, look that up. Yeah, I think, you could look it up. Yeah, yeah look it up. Yeah, because it's in Matthew twenty nine. So we got this figured out. Okay, all right. Let's continue on. on number twenty seven on page forty three. Now, now we get to the point of okay, all right. We've talked about faith. We've talked about Jesus. We've talked about the forgiveness of sins. We've talked about all of that, that we want to go all out, 100%, Jesus is our hope. So, okay, what about um, what about good works? What does this mean? Number 27. Furthermore, we teach that it is necessary to do good works. This does not mean that we merit grace by doing good works, but because it is God's will, Ephesians 2, verse 10. It is only by faith and nothing else that forgiveness of sins is apprehended. The Holy Spirit is received through faith. Hearts are renewed and given new affections. And then they are able to bring forth good works. Ambrose says, Faith is the mother of a good will and doing what is right. Without the Holy Spirit, people are full of ungodly desires. They are too weak to do good works that are good in God's sight. John 15 verse 5. Besides, they are in the power of the devil who pushes human beings into various sins ungodly opinions, and open crimes. We see this in the philosophers 
who, although they tried to live an honest life, could not succeed, but were defiled with many open crimes. Such human weakness, without faith and without the Holy Spirit, when governed only by human strength. Now, it starts with, you know, we've gotten very comforted, our, our conscience is clear, and then it says we teach that it is necessary to do good works. What, are they, what is Melanchthon telling us? Well, it's like the needle on a record player, and you just take the needle and keep moving it across the record, and it makes that loud scratching noise. That's what this almost sounds like when they say that in uh, paragraph 27. <laughs> you, we've just spent all this time talking about faith alone, not by works, <clears throat> faith alone, by Christ alone, and all of it. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, and we're required to do good works. Huh? required to do good yeah. works and then they immediately quote Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 which leaves out the little chunklet in verse 9 that I think should be included because it says this is not your own doing that is faith uh, it is the gift of God a grace you have been saved through faith and then they say not a result of works so that no one may boast that's important that we remember that and it's also important that we consider verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Christians are anxious about good works. We are. We're always thinking about what is a good work? Uh, when am I supposed to do it? How am I supposed to do it? We understand the why because Paul says at the end of Romans chapter 3 uh, that um, we do not nullify the law by this faith. Not at all. We rather uphold the law. So we do good works. But the understanding here again is what is the dynamo of the good works? Is it good works leads to faith? No. Is it good works plus faith equals salvation? No. It's Faith first, then good works. And not only that, but our Heavenly Father has created good works for you to do. Where? Where are these good works that my Heavenly Father has created for me to do? And I think that's what stirs up anxiety in us. I don't know. And here is where a robust teaching of what your calling is in life, what your stations are in life, comes into play. This is where we go to the table of duties in Luther's small catechism, and we take a look at what we are given to do in our daily life. Uh, I am, first of all, a husband, a husband of one wife, and my wife and I have five children. So my utmost calling is to love my wife as Christ loves his church and to raise my children as children of the Heavenly Father and as our children together. That is the arena where much of my attention is to be given as a child of God, created uh, to do these, work, these works because we are his workmanship. Uh, so uh, for me, I sleep well at night knowing that as the saying goes, Brady, my work is cut out for me every day. Be a husband, a pious husband, 
take care of your wife, love your wife, love your children, take care of your children, raise your children. Then I walk across the parking lot here to my building, go into the study, and I love the flock that the, the Lord Jesus Christ has given me to be a shepherd of the good shepherd's flock. That comes next, and that takes a lot of my time because there are a lot of uh, redeemed sinners here that the good Lord has me to take care of. So um, now I know what I'm given to do, and I also know that because I am still on this side of the grave, there's going to be times when I'm going to fail at doing all of these things. Uh, the percentages are going to be really low on this one um, because uh, I'm, I'm not perfect. Uh, there are mistakes I make with my wife every day. There are mistakes I make with my children every day. And yes, I do make mistakes with my congregation every once in a while. So all the more that I don't have to worry about getting it right the first time, which I'll let you know, I struggle with every day. I struggle with getting it right and doing it right. And that's usually when my wife steps in and says, Jesus took care of that. You don't have to worry about doing it absolutely right. Do the best you can as God gives you light. And where you make a mistake, that's where your wife comes in to clean up the mess. And <laughs> she's very good at cleaning up the messes I make, especially when I take on household chores. And that's why I love her. And that's why I stay with her, uh, because she's my gift. So um, I, I don't sweat it, Brady. My work's cut out for me. And it's amazing to me, as you say that, how here we are, the ones who proclaim this message continuously, still need to hear from either our wives or our children or from our members or other people that, oh, by the way, Christ died for that. Um, sins are forgiven. Yes. Continuously filled. And that's why when you read this article, Article 20, it is just saturated with the words forgiveness of sins. And it's not because it hasn't shown up in the Augsburg Confession before. It's not because it hasn't shown up after. It's not because it's not in the Apology or other places or the Large Catechism. Oh my, is it in the Large Catechism? It's absolutely everywhere. Why? Because we need to continually hear it. And I love the language that is used in these uh, numbers that we had, 27 through 34. It just really hits us, as Pastor Jewel just said so well, is that we're weak. We can't do it. John chapter 15, verse 5, you know, I am the vine, um, you know, you are the, the branches. It just reminds us that without him, we're not able to do any of this. So it just, it takes out any percentage. Once again, you do half, I do half. Um, you do three quarters, no, I do one quarter, whatever it might be, it takes it all out of the water and points us right back to the mercies and merit of Christ's cross and his resurrection. Um, so that that's why I, I encourage you, our listeners, the numbers 23 through 34 are just, they're, they're vital for every day, as Pastor said, and they're vital for you as the baptized, you as the priest of all believers, to tell other people, and maybe for you to tell your pastor. If you, you know, as you go to church and, and so forth, to remind him, by the way, Christ died for your sins too, Pastor. <laughs> I mean, would that, wouldn't that be something for you, our listeners? Pastor, what do you think of this? That, that our listeners, those who are our laity um, among us or even other church workers, 
how great would it be if you had that person every Sunday they came through and said, Pastor, by the way, that forgiveness is yours in Christ as well. What do you think of that? Um, if they would take a hug from me, I would give them a hug because I need to hear that every day. And I mean, if somebody even wrote me a note or an email that said, Pastor, Jesus died for your sins and he loves you and so do I, that would make not just my day, it would make my year because as much as I preach it, I need to hear it. That's a, that's a, a perennial question among pastors is, who is the pastor's pastor? And of course, people will answer, well, of course, Jesus is your pastor. You get to open up the scriptures. You get to you know, write sermons and all this kind of stuff. Well, who's going to talk to the pastor about the pastor's sins? Another pastor mm -hmm. does. And it's mm -hmm. very important for we pastors to have another pastor that we can confide in and talk about these matters uh, that uh, relate with sin and grace and forgiveness and joy and peace in Jesus Christ. I have one and I'm overdue to see him. Thank you for the reminder, Brady. Very good. And for you, our listeners, go to your pastor and hear these words once again. Let's continue our time. We are on page 43, number 35. We're plowing through this very well, but it does bring us to this very important point for us is, okay, all right, how do I know that I've actually done a good work? And that's something I want to make sure we get to before we end our time here today. Number 35 on page 43, and we will end on page 44 and number 40. And it writes, Therefore, it is easy to see that this doctrine is not to be accused of banning good works. Instead, it is to be commended all the more because it shows how we are enabled to do good works. For without faith, human nature cannot in any way do the works of the first or second commandment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Without faith, human nature does not call upon God, nor expect anything from him, nor bear the cross. Matthew 16. Instead, human nature seeks and trusts in human help. So when there is no faith and trust in God, all kinds of lusts and human intentions rule in the heart. Genesis 6 verse 5. This is why Christ says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. That is why the church sings, Lacking your divine favor, there is nothing in man, nothing in him is harmless. Nothing in him is harmless. That's interesting. That's interesting. What hymn is that? I that is that from, do you know? I do know because I did my homework, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't look that one thing up. Come on now. <laughs> that is actually from the Veni Sancte Spiritus is what that's from, uh, which it means Got come it. Holy Spirit. And in our hymnals, it's the basis of uh, come, Holy Gro come Holy Ghost, Creator, Blessed, Come Holy Ghost, God and mm -hmm. Lord, that sort of thing. This is from the Latin sequence hymn. The sequence hymn is what is usually, uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, it's what's usually sung between the reading of the epistle and the gospel. It uh, liturgically gives the ministers time to move from one area of the chancel to another. Maybe there's a gospel procession involved and that sort of thing. That's what a sequence hymn is. And usually on the high holy feasts, there is a sequence hymn. And so that's where that comes from. And it's a fascinating quote. And all I have to say is go take a look at it in Latin because it's really pretty in Latin. Uh, and, and almost makes me want to say everything's better in Latin 
But uh, if you're not a Latin scholar, you would just look at it and say, well, I don't know what that means. But now you know what it means because it's in English in the Book of Concord. At any rate, <clears throat> paragraph 36, without faith, human nature cannot in any way do the works of the first or second commandment. Without faith, human nature does not call upon God, nor expect anything from him, nor bear the cross. Instead, we look to other human beings for help. Now, Mr. Rogers is right. You always want to look for the helpers when we have a, uh, a traumatic situation. Look for the people who are doing good. Do not look at these people, though, as if they are going to save you from sin and death and the power of the devil. When you have those times when your human nature is trampled down in doubt and is plagued and sorrowed by the consequence of sin, that's when you go look for the helper. And the helper is Jesus Christ. And the one who points you to Jesus is your pastor. You go hear him. He has a message for you. And that message often is delivered from the pulpit. And the final word that gets spoken from the pulpit is, Jesus has taken care of your sin. Jesus has paid the price for it all for you. You can't do this. You can't go up on that cross and take care of your own sin. Jesus did. And he did it for you. And he gives the spoils of this victory all to you hoarding none of it to himself, but pouring it all out. And if that isn't enough, he only knows one way to give, and that is the way of more. He will continue to give this gift to you throughout your life. That is what we look to when the human heart is full of all sorts of things that soils your life. You look to Christ. Now, Pastor, as we um, wrap up our time with about five minutes left, recently I had a conversation with my two older daughters. Um, they're junior and senior in high school, and I was preparing for our time today, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to ask this question of them, and, and uh, partly to help my study, but also to kind of quiz them a little bit, which isn't always fair. But I asked them, what is a good work? And, you know, instantly there's kind of a thought, the long silence. And then one of my daughters said, well, any work that you do in faith. Now, Pastor, what would your, what would your encouragement be? So we're going to ask that question. Is this a good work? Um, am I doing good works? Um, because we point people to Christ, but then they go back to their real lives. They go back to their um, taking care of their family, going back to taking care of, for example, their parents going back to doing their jobs, going back to living in a neighborhood. How does someone know, the Christian, for our listeners, how do they know they're doing a good work? How can you encourage them as they go about their daily vocations? To do it. Simply to do what is given them to do, knowing and believing that they will fail in this. And I know it sounds wrong to say it. You mean to tell me, pastor, you're going to send me home today and you're going to say my sins are forgiven. You're going to say that, uh, that Jesus has taken care of all of my sin 
And now you, you, you say that uh, I, I've been given to do these good works. And, and you've told me even what these good works are by saying that, that I have all of these stations and callings in life to do it. And now you're telling me that I'm going to fail in doing it. And are, aren't you just like spoiling the pot, poisoning the well? No, of course not. Remember, you are still a fallen human being. You're still under the power of sin, even though Christ has freed you from this. And so even the good works that you do will not be perfect good works. All the more that in our helping our neighbor, loving our neighbor, serving our neighbor, being the Christ to our neighbor, the little Christ that Luther talks about, we too realize that there's always room for improvement and that this improvement is not going to be what we want it to be this side of the grave. All the more then that we remember to put the horse in front of the cart and cling to Jesus for forgiveness, for life, for salvation, to cover all of our sin where we have fallen short in all that we've been given to do on a daily basis and to let him take care of it in his way, which is to bleed and to die for it and to give you the victory, the victory that he has won, to let him forgive and to feed you with his body and blood to put you in mind of your baptism again and to send you forth forgiven and free. Not to worry about, did I do it right? Did I do it? Did I do enough? Well, you're never going to do it right or enough. Jesus has done it right and enough. So live. Uh, the best example I can give you uh, is, boy, the Chicago Cubs have, have really been hot at some points. There's, I'm a Cubs fan in the middle of Brewers country. Please pray for me. The Cubs have been really hot, and then they've been really cold, and I don't really know what to think of this season. I don't really know what to think. And I was talking about this with a friend the other day. I was like, what do I do? What do I, what do I think about this season? And he goes, why not you stop thinking about all of this and just enjoy it? Enjoy the ride. That would be the one thing that I guess I could end up saying today about good works, Brady, is don't be so worried about how much or what. You've got your work cut out for you. You live in Jesus. Enjoy the ride. Pastor David Jewell of St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Arlington, Wisconsin, confessing the truth of Scripture concerning good works from the Augsburg Confession, Article 20. Pastor Jewell, thank you for being our guest. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. As we hear from, as, as Pastor mentioned today, the hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, 761, it says, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. 
Remember this as we look at good works and remind us that we always first look to Christ and enjoy the ride. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe. Amen.